Welcome to On the Journey Conversations, brought to you by the Christian Women's Leadership Center of Women's Missionary Union. I'm your host, Sandy Wisdom Martin. I was a teenager when I met my first National WMU president. What an awesome experience. In college, I made a trip to Nashville, Tennessee for a missionary appointment service. I remember the charge given by the Foreign Mission Board president. He quoted a poem I still have memorized nearly four decades later because it had such a profound impact on me. Today I'm speaking with the president of the International Mission Board and the president of National WMU. We sat around one table and it was incredibly fun. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Today I'd like to welcome Dr. Paul Chitwood, president of the International Mission Board, to the podcast, and Connie Dixon, president of Women's Missionary Union. I'm a little bit nervous to be speaking to the presidents of Women's Missionary Union and the International Mission Board. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Sandy. It's such a pleasure for me to be on with both of you. Grateful for your friendship and certainly for your wonderful advocacy of the IMB and our missionaries and all God is doing among the nations. Yes, and it's great to be with you both. Now, I grew up in the Midwest in a tiny Southern Baptist church in Southern Illinois, and I remember vividly the very first World Missions Conference. I remember the first missionary I ever met. He was from the Brantley Baptist Center in New Orleans. I still remember things that he said in his presentation because it made such an impact on me as a child. Do you remember the first missionary you ever met? Yes, actually, I do. It was a friend of Mrs. Helen Lee Lambert, who was my GA leader. I think she was from Peru. I was a very small child. I do not remember anything that she said. And I just remember thinking, one of these days, I'm going to go and be on mission. All right. So a missionary from Peru, Brother Paul, do you remember? Sandy, the first missionary I remember meeting in person, I didn't meet until I was a pastor. I was pastoring a small rural church while I was a seminary student at Southern Seminary. I was living about a little over an hour outside of Louisville, Kentucky, in the parsonage in a little community where I was pastoring. The associational missionary, George Stack, our director of missions, came by one afternoon to find me in the parsonage and to tell me about this World Missions Conference, which you referenced, that being your experience too. They were hosting one in the association, one in South Fort Baptist Church, where I was pastoring and would have interest in participating. I said, well, I don't really know what that is, but if you think it's a good idea, we're all in. And of course, we hosted every night a different missionary. Michelle and I had the opportunity to have dinner with them for service. It was kind of like the old revival schedule. And then we had services midweek in the evening at the church. And it was, uh, well, I, I, I dare say I probably wouldn't be seated here with you today and wouldn't be president of the International Mission Board had the Lord not begun to build in me a heart for missions as I heard those missionaries share their stories, the experiences of how God had used them and what they had seen God do among the nations. It was transformative for me. So at that point, God began changing your worldview. Yes, broadening it significantly. And put the nations on your heart. Well, he, he certainly did. And I look back at other experiences along the way. Serving as a trustee on the IMB was a significant part of that experience. 
meeting those who were training for the mission field and the seminary classroom where I was taking classes. But it really started there with that little association, World Missions Conference, and how thankful I am. So how much time lapsed between that first encounter and your first international mission trip? Quite a few years. I graduated seminary and was pastoring for about four years in a little First Baptist Church in a small community. Then was called to the First Baptist Church of Somerset, Kentucky, a little bit of a larger church that already had a pretty active volunteer missions program going. And uh, some of the leaders in the church who participated in those were a group of doctors and dentists and nurses who did a medical missions trip every year. They asked if I would be interested in going, and we ended up fashioning that into several teams. We had our medical and dental team, and we had an evangelism team, and we had a construction team. And we went to uh, work in the slums outside of Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, and Michelle went with me. It was our first mission trip. It was probably, thinking of the time lapse, about six years between the time when I was pastoring that little country church and had the first experience of the World Missions Conference, and then when we were overseas on our first mission trip, again, an incredibly transformative experience for us. It changed our lives in so many ways and was another important step along the way of me being privileged to serve in the role I'm in. Connie, where did you go on your very first international mission trip? My very first international mission trip was to Zimbabwe, Africa, and loved going. And as Dr. Chitwood said, it totally transformed my life. At that time, I was a a very materialistic young mother. And going and seeing those people and seeing how little they had and how happy they were and seeing how they lived just totally transformed my life. And I remember you sharing a significant encounter from that mission trip. Tell that story. Yes. D. Ray Davis was the missionary that my team was working with, and he asked us to go out to a suburb of Gweru, Zimbabwe. It's called Epworth, and he was going to go play basketball with some of the men of the area, and it's just an old cement slab, and he said the minute that basketball would start bouncing, people would come to play ball, and my friend and I were standing there and got to noticing a lot of children gathered around to watch the basketball game. So we started telling Bible stories and singing songs and just having a little VBS as we were there. And there was this younger adult male that was there, and he had been drinking a lot, but he wanted to hear the stories, and he just wouldn't go away. And he was just there. And when they got through playing basketball, D-Ray came over and struck up a conversation with this young man and asked him if he knew Jesus. And he led him to Christ that day on the basketball court. As we were driving off, I can remember my cynical attitude at that time going, well, I hope when he sobers up, he really remembers what just happened. And the next morning, we had a church service at the Church of the Rock, just outside of Epworth, this huge rock. And we looked up, and here come this young man, cleaned up and walking down the road with his little brother because he wanted to bring his little brother to meet Jesus. I love that story. Wonderful story. That is a great story. Brother Paul, do you have a favorite mission story? I I bet it would be hard to pick a favorite. Uh, It'd be hard to pick a favorite. Uh, There have been so many. I think back to that first mission trip, and one of the ways that that dramatically impacted our family 
was there was this little nine-year-old girl named Triana, who from the moment we set foot in the community where we were working on the evangelism and construction project, we also had one of our medical teams with us there. This little girl started following my wife, Michelle, around, followed around all week as we were doing door-to-door evangelism. We had a little Bible school going in the community. And whatever we were doing, Michelle, like it was her shadow. She could not turn around without stumbling over Triana. And at the end of the week, uh, I guess we were there longer than a week, but at the end of the trip, we had a big celebration service because our team had been able to construct a small little church building for this church plant that had started sometime before then in the community to have a place to have services. We had that celebration service. We were saying our farewells about to uh, leave the community, a young lady approached my wife and began to speak frantically to her in Portuguese. Michelle could not understand anything she was saying. One of our interpreters stepped up and began to uh, help them communicate with one another, and it was actually Triana's mother. And she was there begging and pleading with Michelle, please take my daughter with you. Please take Triana with you. There's no way we could take Triana with us. The Brazilian government wouldn't have allowed that. But the, the desperation of a mother who, in a very impoverished and uh, at least physically hopeless situation, wanting better for her daughter, deeply impacted us and had the result of God turning our hearts not just towards the nations but towards the plight of orphans. Triana had a mother to fend for her. But there are so many who did not. So many children around the world who are orphaned and no one is there to help. And Lord actually led us towards adoption. We've adopted two daughters as a somewhat direct result of that experience on that first mission trip. So God uses these experiences where we share help and hope in Christ in many ways to change us and to transform our lives. And that one experience did change the trajectory of your family. Absolutely. Wow, incredible. Well, what has God taught you through your missions experiences? Either one of you. One of the things that God has taught me is that relentless pursuit (laughs) just happens to be our theme for this year is relentless. If it hadn't been for Mrs. Lambert's relentless pursuit of me as a young woman, I would have never gone and joined a WMU group to go to my first National Actings Convention. If it hadn't been for Judith Edwards' persistent, relentless pursuit of me to go on my very first mission trip, God would have worked His way in my life. But because of that relentless pursuit from those ladies, it causes me to look around as to who I can pour into and who I can relentlessly pursue to be involved in missions. So it's really changed my life. When we do get to this season of life, for those listening, I won't say what season we're in, but to a different season of life, you do take a longer look about who you can influence and who you can invest, and you are more grateful for those that poured into you. And you realize the mantle that's been placed on your shoulder and your responsibility to invest in others. It's a heavy weight, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. Brother Paul, what have you learned? So much. I think in the bigger picture, God has used those experiences to teach me and to consistently remind me of why we're here. 
the church remains on earth for a reason. The church remains on earth because there are still so many in the world who have yet to hear the gospel. The Revelation 7-9 vision, that picture of heaven, where there's a great multitude no one could number from every nation and all the tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that vision has not yet come to pass. Every nation, all peoples, tribes, and languages have yet to hear. Many are yet to be represented around the throne with still 3,000 unreached and unengaged people groups around the world. That's why we're here. We're still here because they haven't heard. We're still here with a, a commission to take the gospel to them. So in the bigger picture, just a, a reminder of why the church remains on earth and the work that we continue to steward working towards that vision of heaven being fulfilled. So many other things, I, I appreciated, Connie, your reference to seeing the joy in those who maybe in living in physical poverty, but who, who have the Lord and have that joy of the Lord. And then those who have physically great wealth, and yet they're in such misery. And the more you're exposed to different peoples around the world, the more you see that consistency. Joy is from the Lord. Hope is from the Lord. doesn't matter what you have or don't have or where you are in the world. If you don't have the Lord, there's no hope. And there's no ultimate joy. You're right. Well, Connie, you were influenced for missions as a child. I was influenced for missions as a child. Brother Paul, you met your first missionary as a young adult pastor. How are we going to influence the next generation for the missionary task? We think about this a lot at the IMB. And in fact, just last year we had done a research project with Barna Group and actually released a book that helped us understand what the most effective ways are at handing off the Great Commission to that rising generation. And what it revealed was, I think, what we intuitively know and what we talk about a lot, the need for that hands-on experience and a personal knowledge of an introduction to not just the mission, but the missionaries. What the research revealed was that a young person knows a missionary or has taken a mission trip. It has a dramatic impact on their life. They're like four times more likely to become a missionary someday themselves, that they pray for missionaries fourfold, they give to missions fourfold. I think the most practical and most effective way to hand off the Great Commission is to get the next generation hands-on yes. involved in the mission. I know that's what the WMU works towards that. And and we labor uh, with you alongside of that. But it's also that personal hand-to-hand, face-to-face connection with a missionary. Also incredibly effective and transformative, as we've shared from our personal experiences. Yes. And I would totally agree with everything that you said. And I think that what we need to be doing as WMU is just keep doing what WMU has been doing for 133 years. And that's making disciples of Jesus who live on mission. And we've got to keep doing that and not lose sight of the goal that every little girl needs a Mrs. Lambert in their life and that every little boy needs a, a missionary to look up to and to work toward. And so just keep doing what we've been doing and teaching the importance of each church to have missions discipleship. Well, the task before us is great. We do have some things to celebrate. How about that Lottie Moon Christmas offering? We have a lot to celebrate, and uh, how grateful I am for 
WMU's advocacy and for the extra special effort that WMU made this past Lottie season in reaching out, helping us to reach out to churches that haven't ever given or haven't given for a while. In fact, I just shared with a church on a call earlier today about the results of that offering and also the thousands upon thousands of letters that WMU ladies wrote, including your 175 handwritten letters, Miss Sandy, to churches that weren't giving. And of course, we saw the best financial year in the history of the IMB. We had $175 million Lottie offering goal in light of our 175th anniversary, surpassed that goal, $177.6 million were given to get the gospel to the nations, all of that used overseas. And so this year's goal is $185 million. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to seeing at the end of this financial year what God has done again just to provide for the mission. I'm excited to see what God will do. Well, I've been looking at your latest global impact report, Brother Paul, and, and I've got an interesting question. I've studied the statistics. I've looked at previous years. We are in the midst of COVID. Your numbers in the last Global Impact Report, the statistics are better than pre-COVID. How is that possible? Well, no one's more surprised than me. In fact, I've confessed to our team here at the IMB that when Jesus said, Oh, ye of little faith, he was talking about me. It's incredible. It's incredible. I knew as we moved through 2020, and the global pandemic had the world in its grip and had the IMB in its grip. We had such disruption around the world. So many missionaries who were displaced because many of the countries were not renewing visas. And so our missionaries couldn't get a visa renewed. They had to leave the country. And we had a lot of missionaries in the U.S. who typically wouldn't have been in the U.S., who weren't supposed to be in the U.S., but because of the pandemic, there was no other choice. We had so many of our missionaries were in lockdown situations. Some like overseas lockdown in some places was a very severe lockdown. You could maybe leave your house or apartment for one hour a day. And other than that, you're sequestered. And uh, so it, it, it was really tough. Knowing all of that, I assumed that those vital statistics that we track would tank. The opposite happened. I know. <laughs> it, it was just, it was, it was amazing. So we saw a growth in thousands. 2019, for example, there were about half a million people who heard the gospel through our missionaries and their close Baptist partners on the ground. 2020, a global pandemic sets in. That number jumps significantly to more than three quarters of a million people, 750,000 plus people. We saw right about 89,000 professions of faith from those who had heard the gospel in 2019. In 2020, in a pandemic, it jumps to 144,000. One of the most staggering uh, realities to me. I mean, how do you plant churches in a global pandemic? In 2019, almost 13,000 new churches planted. 2020, more than 18,000 new churches planted. What do we attribute that to? Well, obviously, you know, uh, Paul wrote in his letter to the church at Corinth, we water, we plant, God gives the harvest, God gives the increase. So the Lord gets all the credit. Whatever happened, if it was from the Lord, God used the pandemic. God used the pandemic and the fear of death that came with it to open people's hearts to the gospel. We saw a greater openness that resulted in a greater harvest. And we also saw a greater extension of the love of Southern Baptists. There were so many COVID relief projects. That, I mean, people were in dire need, particularly those day laborers who go out every day, 
hoping to earn enough for a meal for that day. When they're in a lockdown situation for weeks on end, can't go out and work legally, immediately a hunger crisis sets in. And Southern Baptists, through their generous giving to the World Hunger Relief Fund, Send Relief, the IMB, we're providing food and meeting other needs, medical needs around the world. And with that practical help always came the gospel. And so we had open doors of opportunity and we found open hearts. Only God can write that story. Amen. Well, I would like for you to share the five-year strategy of IMB. As we celebrate what is happening right now, but as we look to the future, talk to us about your strategy. One of the things that we've really been focusing in on is creating stability and all aiming at the same target. The IMB have been through a lot of transitions. I was the fourth president in a 10-year period. So we felt the need to have greater stability. And instead of changing our goals every year, how about five-year targets that we stick with over the course of five years? So we have five targets that we're all aiming toward at the IMB and inviting Southern Baptists to come alongside and us to come alongside them and hit these targets. Target number one, the most important target, is to grow our missionary force again. We have a goal of growing missionary force by 500. Between the years 2008 and 2018, we shrunk significantly in the number of frontline missionaries. I mean, by 40%, down over 2,000 missionaries in that time frame. Since 2018, we've been working to grow again, and we have a growth of goal over a five-year period of 500 additional missionaries. So today, there's about 3,635 missionaries. And again, we want to see that get up over 4,000 missionaries. Target number two is also related to the growth of the mission force. We have a target of adding an additional 500 global missionary partners to our IMB teams. What's a global missionary partner? Over the course of our 176 years as an organization, we've seen God do a lot of great things. Missionaries gone out, they've evangelized, they've made disciples, they've planted churches. And in many places, they've helped those churches organize themselves in their own convention, sending bodies. There are 140 Baptist unions and conventions around the world that have resulted from our 176 years of work. Some of them are sending missionaries. Many of them are not. We want to help those that aren't sending missionaries send their own cross-cultural missionaries. Those that are, help them to be effective in that work. And we want to add 500 of those missionaries to our teams. As we diversify our teams in that way, it gives us greater access in many places of the world. So it's a very strategic initiative. The third initiative or third target or goal is we want to have a comprehensive strategy for 75 global cities. It was just a few years ago that the world population tipped to where more than half the world's population was living in the cities and the urban centers of the world. By the end of this century, we're told that that number will grow to as much as 80%. 80% of the world's population will be in the urban centers of the world. So if we want to reach lost people, we got to reach the cities. We want to have a strategy to reach 75 cities. This is going to help us even with like the unengaged and unreached people groups because you're going to be standing in line at Starbucks in Singapore and have someone from an unengaged, unreached people group standing in line beside you. So again, that city strategy is important. Target number four and five are about funding this growth, funding this work. So just, uh, just over half of Southern Baptist churches give through the Lottie offering. Lottie offering so important, even as we've already mentioned, every penny of that is used overseas for the work 
WMU is a part of helping us in this goal. We want to see not just half, but we want to see 75% of Southern Baptist churches giving to the Lottie offering. That'll be a game changer to engage more churches in that way. And then the final goal, again, a financial goal, is to see a growth in revenue each year by 6%. That's essentially what it takes to fund those 500 additional missionaries. So we know the Lord's not broke. Uh, He owns a cattle of a thousand hills. Southern Baptists aren't broke. We just need to engage in relationships, make them more aware of what God is doing, invite them to be a part of it, and I believe we can see us meet those goals. And we want you to know, WMU, we're all in with you, and we're excited to help you reach those goals. What would you say to people that are listening today? They may be WMU members. They may not be. How could the local person in the pew help IMB reach those strategic goals? We talk a lot about praying, giving, sending, and going. For each of us as Southern Baptists and just followers of Jesus, to be prayerful, to be praying for the lost among the nations, praying for our missionaries, to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us, and to give generously towards the mission, to be ready to go if God calls us, whether it's on a volunteer trip or as a career missionary, as a retiree. I ain't be sending more missionaries. We send young people. We send uh, those who aren't so young. And, and there's a place for everyone in this work. So praying, giving, going, and sending, all of us being a part, calling out the called, being supportive of sending those missionaries to the field. The other thing that we talk about is being an advocate. Being an advocate. This is what WMU does best. So for every WMU lady and every other Southern Baptist to own advocacy. What am I talking about when I'm talking about advocacy? Be an advocate for the lost among the nations. Be an advocate for our missionaries and the mission work. Be an advocate for the IMB. Invite others as you understand the importance of giving and praying and supporting what God is doing through the cooperative mission work of Southern Baptists, and specifically we're talking about the IMB. Share that good news. Share about what God is doing through the IMB. Encourage others to give. Encourage others to pray. Be an advocate for the work among the nations. Well, Connie, I wondered if you would take a moment and pray for Brother Paul as he leads the work of the International Mission Board. It's a big responsibility that you have, brother, and we want you to know that we do pray for you regularly. Of course, we pray for our missionaries, but we pray for those that work in the Richmond office and other places that are on the IMB staff, but we want you to know that we pray for you and believe in the call that God has laid upon your heart and want God to do His very best work through you. It would honor me to pray for Brother Paul. Dear Heavenly Father, we do come to you now, Lord, and we lift Brother Paul up to you, Lord, and thank you for all that he is doing, and thank you for his leadership here at the International Mission Board. And Lord, I just pray for all of our missionaries today, Lord, that you would bless them in a special, special way, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to see the nations, whether it's at our local Starbucks or wherever we're at, Lord, to see them and to understand that we are on mission wherever we're at and help us to reach out and to give generously, sacrificially. Thank you for the great news of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, Lord. And I just pray that you would help us all to look to you as to what we are to give 
and where we're supposed to go and who we're supposed to tell about you, Lord. Thank you again for Brother Paul and all of his staff, Lord, and I just pray that you would bless them in a special, special way today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I hope those of you who have listened have been encouraged as I have been to hear the hearts of these two great leaders, the president of Women's Missionary Union and the president of the International Mission Board. I'm encouraged by both of you, by the way you serve, by the way you lead. I look forward to what God is going to do with our partnership in the future. Thank you both for being on the podcast. Well, thanks for having us, Sandy, and we're grateful for you and your leadership as well. You are a blessing. Amen to that. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you next time. I am so grateful you took time to listen to this On the Journey conversation. WMU is passionate about making disciples of Jesus who live on mission. To carry out that mandate, we learn about God's work in the world, we tell others about Jesus and do ministry, and we are committed to supporting our missionaries through our prayers and sacrificial gifts. If you want to learn more about what we do, visit WMU.com. We'll see you next time.